welcome to the Vintage Saints and Sinners podcast. I'm Karen Wright Marsh. Do you wonder if Christian faith can be truly lived in today's complex and changing world? Well, this is the place to find broken and beautiful companions for your everyday pilgrimage. Here, you'll find embodied witnesses, Christians from different eras and different cultures. They're people we sometimes call saints, but they were also sinners just like you and me. Today, I'll be talking with my friend, Caitlin Beatty, about our perplexing notions of sanctity. I'm calling this episode, Who's a Saint? Who's a Sinner? Who Decides? I'm glad you're here with us. I'm happy to have Caitlin Beatty with me today. She's the author of A Woman's Place, A Christian Vision for Your Calling in the Office, the Home, and the World. Caitlin has written for the New York Times and the New Yorker, and she currently serves as the acquisitions editor for Brazos Press. She's previously served as editor at Christianity Today magazine, and she lives in Brooklyn. Thank you for joining me, Caitlin. Thank you for having me. Caitlin, I'm going to try to get you to help me wrestle with this idea of what is a saint? Who decides who's a saint? Hmm. How does how do sinners come into it? What do we even make of this, this word? And so I'm interested to know from your point of view, what the word saint meant to you growing up. So I, I didn't actually hear much about saints in the traditional Christian sense growing up. You know, I grew up evangelical, and so the veneration of the saints was not something that I was exposed to until much later in life. If if I did hear about a saint or saints growing up, it was in a colloquial sense, like, oh, she's such a saint for delivering that meal, like a, an act of service that seemed uniquely good. We, we might call that person a saint. Mm-hmm. And so I... I don't think I actually understood the tradition of the saints until much later when I started attending an Episcopal church as a young adult, and we had certain days of the the liturgical year that were set aside to honor specific saints. And then during the Easter liturgy, we had a, a prayer that I think it was called the Liturgy of the Saints. And it was a time when we were supposed to kneel and ask certain saints to pray for us. Right. <laughs> you're like, oh, <laughs> what's that? Oh, yeah. I'm like, oh, this is weird. <laughs> Aren't these people dead? We, are we worshiping these people? And, you know, I, I have different thoughts about it now. But I, what I did appreciate about that tradition was the sense that the saints of church history are people that we are connected to across time and space as being part of the body of Christ, and that the saints are in some mystical sense alive, and that their, their lives and their words and their witness of holiness is available to us now and can be an, an encouragement 
to us now. And so I, I've come around. I do, I do not pray to saints on a regular basis, <laughs> but I understand why people do. Um, I think the way that our, our priest described it at the time was asking a fellow Christian friend to pray for you for something specific. And, you know, all of us would be comfortable with doing that. Can you stretch that across time and space and ask these people who have gone before you on the path of holiness to pray for you for something specific? I think I'm on board with that, even if I don't do actually practice that on a regular basis. I think when I step back and think about it, when I put my different beliefs together, I might say, yes, I can pray to saints. I mean, I, I don't either. It's just not my habit. But if I think about eternal life and, you know, a brother or sister in Christ who has entered eternal life, I believe that they're alive in that way. So why would I not mm-hmm. ask them for prayer as I ask you for prayer? Um, mm-hmm. So theologically, yeah, I think I'm still curious about that. It's not a settled matter, but it's not the shocking thing that as a kid I thought it was. You know, it's just Mm -hmm. like this exotic practice. Like, why wouldn't you just ask Christ? Why would you, you know, go to St. Sebastian or whoever? (laughs) No, just go straight to Jesus. Yeah. But I think the the idea of somehow relating to saints of the past, in some ways it's it's less intimidating (laughs) than approaching Jesus in a way because the saints, of course, were also sinners, and the saints lived as broken humans in a specific time and place and wrestled against temptation and struggled with their own sin and like knew what it was like to be in uh, a mortal body. I mean, yeah, I, I totally understand why a lot of Protestants would say, well, why would you pray to a saint when you can pray to Jesus? And at the same time, I think the saints seem a bit more approachable than Jesus because Jesus is the son of God (laughs) and the saints were flawed, broken humans who lived, you know, in a mortal body in a specific time and place in the way that we do. They struggled against temptation. They struggled against the flesh in a way that Jesus did not. And so it's in some ways, I think it's easier to think of the saints as, friends or co-wayfarers in the way that Jesus wasn't in the same way. I also think it's good to remember that you don't have to spend a lot of time in the biographies of the saints to realize that some of them were (laughs) kind of pills (laughs) or, or like weird. Very. (laughs) Like it's, I think it's a mistake to think of the saints as people who were perfect or even people who were particularly likable all the time, that they had their own quirks, they had their own Mm -hmm. uh, weird habits or outlooks. And so in that way, they are like us, they're like all of us. And so in that way, I think it's helpful to remember that the saints were wonderfully human in all their variety, in their struggles, in their in their desires, in their unmet desires, um, in their need for, you know, food and sleep and shelter and all the things that a mortal human needs, they were like us. And the more of the stories, the biographies that I read and the, the 
the more deeply I dig into their stories, I think the more I see this incredible variety. And you know, some of them came to their spiritual lives late. Some were born like Therese of Lisieux as a toddler saying, you know, I've denied God nothing from the time I was two um, mm-hmm. to somebody like <laughs> Augustine you know, or C.S. Lewis who resisted giving over their lives to God. But I guess the question I haven't really asked is, how do we even define this word saint? Mm-hmm. I'd love to have you give it a shot. Oh, gosh. So I think of a saint as someone whose life is in some evident way consecrated or set apart for blessing, Mm. that their life models a certain set apartness. And so we talk about like the consecration of the bread and the wine in Eucharist, if you're in a liturgical church, as being set apart they're the gifts of God, and they're to be used for gifts to us and for God. And I think in a similar way, saints are people whose lives seem to manifest some kind of set-apartness. Mm, yeah. um, but I think the, the saints that most captivate me or the saints that I most want to be like are the ones whose lives, while they were set apart for blessing, that set-apartness also led them further into the world rather than away from the world. In being set apart, in being consecrated, there was a a movement in their life to identify with the people of the world who are in the most pain and suffering. That, you know, a saint isn't someone who has somehow transcended all the ugliness and pain of the world, but then are then sent out to bless the world and to bless their neighbors. You know, that's the kind of saint that I don't know that I will ever be there, but that's the kind of saint that I want to be like. Mm-hmm. And that there's a there's a certain like holy worldliness that is evident in their life. Are there people who come to your mind as some of your patron saints or favorite saints <laughs> who inspire you? Well, I'm thinking of, so for listeners, you, Karen, led a wonderful conversation about the saints of New York. So, (laughs) you know, Christians who spent some or all of their their life in New York City. And so when I think about the saints of New York, of course, the first person I think of is Dorothy Day, the founder of the Catholic worker movement, who, you know, came to faith later in life. She was kind of an atheist socialist activist for a lot of her early life and then had this experience of joy after having a child and found herself frequenting you know, one of the Catholic churches in, in New York. And this, this experience of joy led her to dedicate her life to God. Um, and yet that turn in her life toward God led her further into relationship with the poor and with the oppressed. And that, you know, becoming holy for her was not an escape from the world, but it was a pathway deeper into the the pain of the world and trying to alleviate the suffering of her neighbors. And I think that is, is really beautiful. And I think that that is such a such a clear reflection of the life of Jesus as well that that Jesus though he was the son of god did not draw farther away from 
humans from suffering humans, but drew close to the people who were on the margins, who experienced, you know, physical and social and cultural pain. Those are the people that he wanted to draw close to. Yeah. And I, I remember a quote from her when she talks about when she was a little girl, she would think of the saints. She, she'd read these stories of the saints who alleviated suffering and sort of bandaged the wounds of the the sick. And yet she, her, as a little girl, her question was, well, why can't the saints change the structure of society? You know, why not, you mm. know, why not try to <laughs> cure the ills at the heart of this suffering? So I love that. Um, yeah. She sort of had her own take on what sainthood looked like, which was really changing the world, you know, getting to the heart of the sufferings and trying to trying to make a difference in a lasting way. Mm-hmm. Right. And not just offering charity, but really trying to address the systems of oppression, you know, economic and racial systems in America that perpetuate suffering, getting to the root instead of just offering a handout. Yeah. So for me, the word saint, that's a label that I use pretty generously. But when when do someone's flaws or someone's sin, when are those sins too great or too egregious for me? Like when when is a saint disqualified because of their sins or their flaws from my hmm. respect or my esteem? In, in writing Vintage Saints and Sinners, there's one chapter on A.W. Tozer, and he, to me, disqualified himself as a saint because he just was a poor husband, I think a neglectful father. And when I learned his biography, this, this man that I had esteemed as a child, because my grandmother loved Tozer, I just, I couldn't read him anymore. I thought, you know, if mm. this guy is, he may be a wonderful writer, Bible teacher, but he didn't love his wife well. He didn't attend mm-hmm. to his children's needs. Like he's off my list of saints. You know, is there any sense of sort of conflict over who's a sinner and who's a saint? Hmm. When do you when are you disqualified from sainthood? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't feel like I can speak about this because I am so far away from sainthood that like, who am I to judge other people? I do think that it matters, though, how we remember certain Christian figures, you know, and how we name their flaws. And, you know, of course, like the state of a person's soul is a mystery to us. And yet, I do think that there are needed conversations around how we remember certain Christian, certain beloved Christian figures. I think about John Howard Yoder, who wrote uh, a book called The Politics of Jesus and was a you know 20th century theologian who wrote a lot about nonviolence and the the urgency of the practice of nonviolence. And it would come out, I believe, after his death that he had inappropriate relationships um, and abusive relationships with um, certain women that he worked alongside in the academy. And so, you know, a story like that just brings into focus the fact that someone can do incredible work for the kingdom and also really hurt other people. And I think it's important not to paint over the effect that 
uh, the pain that that yes. some of the saints have caused for other people and that you know the lives of these women who he harmed their legacy deserves to be remembered their pain deserves to re- be remembered as much as the great works of the celebrated theologian so i i'm i'm aware of the ways that power dynamics inform how we remember certain people or forget certain people. And I think the beautiful work that you have done in your book, Karen, is to elevate saints who would otherwise have been overlooked or forgotten due to their gender or their class or their time in history. You know, I I refuse to believe that the only saints we're remembering are like white European learned guys, you know, like I like Augustine, but he's not the only one I like Francis of Assisi, <laughs> right. but they're not the only people worth remembering. So exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I have always been intrigued by a comment that Thomas Merton made. He said, for me to be a saint means to be myself. Hmm. I find that just opens up so many interesting avenues for this concept, this question of who is a saint. And I guess where that leads me is to think, well, if God has created me as myself, that the work of sanctity in my own life is to come fully into the person that God's created me to be. That Mm. that's, for me, that is my own sanctity. Mm -hmm. And it's not just a focus on me and my own individual fulfillment, but that God has created me to be whole and healthy uh, and in relationship with God and in relationship to, to one another. And if being a saint in my own life, it's not being good or changing the world necessarily or being perfect or exemplary, but truly to be myself. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's very poetic sounding, but I think there's also something possibly true there. Yeah. I mean, I think about the language that I, I think I first encountered it through reading Ignatius of Loyola and doing some Ignatian exercises several years ago, the language of true self and false self. And when we are living into our true self, we are integrated. We're honest with ourselves and with the people in our lives. We have placed a high priority, the highest priority on serving God. And from that flows like serving neighbor. And we are at home with ourselves. We're, we're at home in our, in our own person. Um, I think that's what it looks like to be like a fully alive human. And, and so maybe the saints (laughs) are Mm. the people who are living into their truest selves most deeply. And we all struggle to do that for for many different reasons. We all have shadows of our like false self and and false narratives about who we are and who we're supposed to be. But yeah, the Merton quote is really interesting. I'll have to think about that. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I love the true self because I think it it helps us step away from the sainthood of the martyr (laughs) who will take on every task that no one else wants to do, or, you know, it's just always doing that, that good, good thing that we all admire, but would never want to do ourselves. But that, that sainthood from God's point of view is not the one who gives the most or suffers the most Mm. or sacrifices the most, but the one who is living a truly abundant, full, authentic life. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the kind of saint 
if that's the definition, like I'm a, I'd like that. Mm-hmm, I'd like mm-hmm. to be, I'd like to be that kind of saint. Um, there's uh, Henry uh, Henri de Lubac. I don't speak French, but Lubac is a wonderful theologian who says Christianity must generate saints, and that is witnesses to the eternal. Hmm. The efficacy of a saint is not that of a leader. The saint does not have to bring about great temporal achievements. A saint is the one who gives us at least a glimpse of eternity. Hmm. So maybe that's another way of defining saint is someone who helps us catch that glimpse of eternity. Yeah, that's really beautiful. Hmm. Well, would would you like to be a saint, Caitlin? <laughs> um, <laughs> gosh, it's weird because, you know, we've spent all this time like waxing eloquent about saints. And yet, for some reason, the word kind of sticks in my throat because it mm-hmm. sounds like someone who thinks that they're more spiritual than they than they really are. <laughs> yeah. Or someone who is kind of like ascended from the the lowly state of being human and has reached this like elevated state of being and I don't want to be that. But I think, you know, and this is like a very Protestant thing to say, but I think what I want is for God to extend grace to me. And at the end of the day, I think the saints have, we remember them because there did seem to be this extension of grace in their lives that comes from God. And I, I of course, want want that. I want my life to be a testament to God's goodness and love. And so if that's what it means to be a saint, I definitely want to be a saint. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, we'll go with that, Saint Caitlin. um, (laughs) Do you want to be a saint? Well, well, see, it's really easy for me to say I'm a sinner. Right, right. Because I I grew up like that was um, very central to my understanding of myself from a little girl uh, that I'm a sinner. But to say that I'm a saint, like, right, I wouldn't admit that or wouldn't claim that for myself. But- Really, the more I dig into this concept of saint sainthood, if it is revealing God's grace in my life, if if it is pointing towards eternity, then it does it does feel like something Mm -hmm. that I can Mm -hmm. live into. Um, But there's so many saints who just make me feel bad and make me feel inadequate, (laughs) (laughs) or remind me of like Dorothy Day or you know, Mother Teresa, you're like, I'm so thankful that you're out there in the world being mm. saints, but you, you just remind me how flawed right, I am. Right. And unfortunately, that can then lead us to a sort of a certain kind of like spiritual laziness where we're like, well, I'll never be Dorothy Day. So I might as well, you know, binge watch Sex in the City. <laughs> I mean, just <laughs> speaking hypothetically, I would never do that. But like, maybe someone would do that. Never. Um, <laughs> like, <Someone. laughs> if we compare ourselves to like the Christian all-stars, it can become an occasion to not try at all. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Which I think is a mistake. But I think if there's a way to look at the lives of the saints and say, is there an attitude or a practice or a certain, even just like a love for God that they embodied, I like to say, I want to love God that in that same way in the contours of my own life. I'm not going to move to Calcutta. I'm not going to start you know, a Catholic worker movement house, but I am going to love the poor better. You know, I am going to open my, my home for, 
displays of hospitality. I think if there's a way to see the spirit of the acts of the saints and say, I want to practice that spirit in my own life, I think that's probably the way to go. And maybe we can just follow them a little bit, you know, kind of be a shadow saint for a while <laughs> or an apprentice saint. I, and I like the word, I like the name pilgrim too. Like, I, I think I feel comfortable. I feel more comfortable with the name pilgrim mm. than saint. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has, I don't know. I, I think we'll, mm. we'll keep thinking about this, <laughs> this whole saint, this whole mm-hmm. saint thing. I'm on a kick. Um but thank you for talking about saints with me today and um, exploring what this might mean for our own lives and our own spiritual growth and our own experience of God's grace and our lives and our calling mm. into the world. Thank you for having me. thinking a lot about my conversation with Caitlin about this thorny question of who's a saint and who decides. I think of some words from the philosopher Peter Kreft, who said, go back to Socrates, know thyself. For Socrates, there are only two kinds of people, the wise who know they are fools and fools who think they are wise. Similarly, for Christ and all the prophets, there are only two kinds of people, saints who know they are sinners, and sinners who think they are saints. Which are you? May you and I walk with a bit more humility and hope, remembering that we are sinners and saints loved by God. Thank you for joining me today. I'm Karen Wright Marsh, and I'm the Executive Director of Theological Horizons, a ministry based in Charlottesville, the University of Virginia. I'd love to hear from you. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Theological Horizons. Come by my website, karenwrightmarsh.com. You'll find out more about the Vintage Saints and Sinners podcast, get show notes, and learn about my book, Vintage Saints and Sinners. You can download free printable study guides for your small group or just for yourself and keep the conversation going. Thanks to the generosity of the Lloyd and Vivian Noble Foundation and to the Friends of Theological Horizons. I hope you'll support the Vintage Saints and Sinners podcast with a tax-deductible gift to Theological Horizons. Go to theologicalhorizons.org slash giving or donate on Venmo at theological-horizons. The Vintage Saints and Sinners podcast is produced by Gabriel Hunter Chang. Our music is by Will Marsh of Gold Connection.